day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. Last week, the state of Michigan reached a $600 million settlement with Flint residents over the city's water crisis. Under the agreement, 80% of that settlement would go to Flint residents who were under the age of 18 years between April 25th, 2014 and July 31st of 2016. It's a major development in the saga of a city that saw its water system poisoned under state control in an effort to save money. But it also doesn't necessarily mean closure for Flint residents. We're going to spend the hour today talking with people from Flint about this settlement and about the future in that city. First, I'd like to welcome the top Democrat in the state Senate and a resident of Flint himself, State Senate Minority Leader Jim Ananick. Jim, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So let's start with your reaction to this settlement, to the number, $600 million, and to what that means in this really long effort to get justice for the people of Flint. Yeah, I think that's, well, that's kind of exactly how I've been talking about it. We've been on this long journey uh, to get justice. I think this is an important step. I think it's a major step, but we haven't crossed the finish line yet. We still have, I think, you know, I think for all citizens of Flint, and I honestly believe all taxpayers uh, of the state, um, I think there needs to be the next component, which would be the criminal convictions, because when a, when a city is treated the way we were, lied to, you know, dismissed our complaints, uh, you know, belittled, all the things that happened, and, you know, either purposely, I don't think people purposely poisoned us, but they, they purposely didn't do anything to make sure that we weren't. Uh, they, they ignored experts, all the kinds of things that, that happened in Flint. Um, I think there needs to be, um, you know, uh, the, the criminal conviction yeah. piece as well. And I think that would help really, I think that second component will help even more uh, along with this to rebuild the trust that really needs to it's going to take a long time to, yeah. to rebuild. And you're somebody who has talked a lot about that. And I feel like you have emphasized the need for that to happen maybe even more than any other public official in, in the city of Flint. Give us an idea of where you think that is at this point. There's still a state investigation going on. It, it had to get reset at some point. Uh, because Attorney General Dana Nessel felt as though Attorney General Bill Schuette had mishandled it. But that was two years ago, and we still have not seen more in the way of indictments or or other kinds of prosecutorial behavior. Are you are you confident that that's moving forward? I am. I, I'll be honest with you. About six months or nine months ago, I was uh, I was concerned. I was and I was getting, you know, starting to express those reservations, you know, those concerns publicly. Uh, And then I saw, uh, as you probably did also, the announcement that the Macomb prosecutor, uh, the the charges against the Macomb prosecutor, within a week he he had resigned. And apparently there was a a year-long extensive investigation that that amounted to to this, uh, you know, pretty substantial charge against the prosecutor in which he obviously left office in order to, to be you know, uh, to help try to avoid some of the the, the pain that he was going to go through, that showed me that, that this attorney general, uh, and I've seen it in the ground here in Flint. I mean, anyone in Flint will say they've seen investigators. What what, what I believe happens is they they do all the legwork, they do none of the pop of circumstance, none of the press press conferences, and they get you dead to rights, and then they come forward. Hmm. 
Uh, and if that's not the case, I'm going to express, you know, deep disappointment. But I get every indication. I mean, you know, the attorney general is on the other side of the wall, so her and I don't talk about it. But what I see from those investigators and from Fadwa Hamoud on the ground, uh, it appears that a very serious um, charges are going to be are going to be leveled, and I, hopefully, relatively soon. I, you know, I, I saw there was a lot of press conferences, a lot of you know uh, tension around the last one, and, and very little action that happened at, at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we get the opposite, where it's very little attention, but you know justice is brought. I will be just as happy. I don't care about the, the show. I just want to make sure the, you know, um, that the, that the, the people get brought. And I, 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 as you know, I've never said who should do it. I, I think the law should take us to who who harmed the city, who broke the law. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know the, the case should take us there. Uh, but I think there's no question that it's going to take it to some people, and I I think they deserve it. So so let's also talk about this six hundred million dollar settlement and what you think it will do. For the city of Flint, I and mean, that's a very different, as you said, way to try to bring justice to Flint residents. What what will this money mean? Well, I think it'll be, you know, I think it's a sense. I think it's I think it's symbolic and it's actually real. And I think the symbolism is basically that you know you felt like you were left behind, you felt like you were thrown away, you felt like no one cared, and your suffering, the things you went through, you know, it was it was validated that they shouldn't have went through it. They were harmed. They did nothing wrong. I think that's extremely important, especially when you try to rebuild the psyche in a community, not just uh, not just the physical infrastructure that needs to be rebuilt. You know, people were told that they were crazy. They were told all sorts of things, but you know, come to find out they were that they were actually right. That we were actually right. That there was a problem, and now there's going to be compensation for it. Now, so just you know, you know this, Stephen, but not everyone who's listening does. So there was. A number of class action lawsuits, they were grouped together, which often happens by the judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a mediators, um, you know, uh, worked with the plaintiff's attorneys and the defense, of course, which would be the state and others, and came up with this this large number uh, from the city of Flint, uh, from, for the city of Flint residents from the state. And there's still, there's other components, you know, there's other folks that were a part of the, the lawsuit and they'll make their own decision about whether they, you know, join the settlement or not. But, um you know, I think it's really important for the major party that, that, that wronged folks, which unfortunately was the state, uh, the direction of the Treasury and the emergency managers, and of course, in some cases, the governor's office. So I think that's extremely important. Now, I mean, obviously, there'll be a point, a period of time where people can sign up and, and show, you know, uh, you know what happened to them. I don't know exactly what that'll be, whether they have to show any documentation or what. But, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning, the, um, you know, as I've said from the beginning, the reason why the children get, you know, get more attention is because their, neuro, their the neurological development is still going on and the mm-hmm. damage can be much more um, damaging. So I think uh, it's appropriate to make sure that the, the majority of the, the help goes to the folks that will need the majority of the help going forward. So uh, I think everyone will be eligible and there'll be, you know, um, there'll be some, you know, some support for everyone. But um, you know, the children, especially those that were exposed to lead and have have seen damage, will, will, will likely see more. And I think that's important because this is not something that just goes away. It's not like, yeah. a, you know, the, the cold. This is something that can get in your system, get in your bones, get in your, in your uh, throughout your system and, and cause problems for the rest of your life, potentially. So, yeah. um, you know, obviously, as we said, as we, you know, you and I have talked about this a bunch, and we probably, you probably covered this more than almost anybody. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the, 
some of the damage is done, but to, to, to have resources to help um, repair and, and try to help folks for the short and long term, I think is really important. Yeah. I'm talking with Jim Ananick. He is the state Senate minority leader, a Democrat from Flint who represents Michigan's 27th state Senate district. We're talking about the $600 million settlement that the state of Michigan reached with the people of Flint last week. Uh, Jim, this is a personal issue for you because you're a Flint resident and you're someone who's raising his family in Flint. I I wonder if you can talk about what this means to you on a personal level. Yeah, I mean, when I started um, in the Senate, even, you know, I mean, mean, you could imagine I never thought I would be spending any time on water because I think all of us just took our water for granted, Mm -hmm. right? And that, that, you know, we had you know, as soon as you turn the faucet on, everything was fine. Um, and then, obviously, this happened, and um, you know, we, we went through the, the the actual damage of the water, um, that, especially that period of time when we were under the uh, Flint water being treated improperly or not being treated at all. Uh, and then, I was obviously, there was a period of time as the water was improving, and then the pipes were replaced. But even during that time, there were still folks that were denying it. Even though you saw all the evidence in the world that people were criticizing the people of Flint, they were lying about how it happened. They were lying about, you know, um, the effects. So I think this is just uh, a bit of a vindication for the people of Flint. Mm. Um, and I think that's really important because, you know, I, I still live here, as you know. I mean, and I, I talk to residents all the time, and and, and there are folks that are still – they, they, we, we run the gambit of, of emotion here, like from angry mm. – to uh, given up, to scared of their water still, um, and you know, as you can imagine, I'm not. I mean, I'm not going to be the person to tell them you should trust your water because they the people that told, that told all of us that were lying to us. So, you know, I mean, the pipes have been for the most part replaced, about 91 percent. The rest of them should be done before before the end of the year. Um, but you know, I'm not a water expert. I've become I've learned more about water than most people in my, in my job. Uh, does, but I'm not a water expert. So if they're still, uh, if they still believe there's problems and they think a, a filter or a bottle of water is the safest bet, and I'm not, I'm not the one to tell them not to do that. So, you know, we still got to rebuild that, that, that we're continuing to rebuild that trust in our own community. And uh, I hope, hopefully this will, this will make people feel a little bit better. And then the next component, as I said, as I mentioned before, will be those criminal convictions and then and, and, and then you know some people will never be completely whole right both physically or or mentally and i i you know we just got to keep working on it though because we we're a strong community we've been through a lot i mean that this isn't the first thing we've been through and it hopefully hopefully will be the last but <laughs> right right history suggests it probably won't be and we'll, we'll find a way to get through it it's just um you know it's uh you know it's to answer your question, it's important that, you know, that, that it's a vindication that we we did nothing wrong. We were wronged. And um, it's now the, the, the court is is, is, is is certifying that, which I think is important. Sure. So I, I want to leave this interview with a with this with a chance for you to talk about something bright that you see on the horizon, I guess, for for Flint. I know how much work has gone into recovering from this and the idea behind a lot of it was we don't we don't need to get flint back to where it was before this happened we need to make flint better and lots yeah. of people said that and i think they all meant it so i i wonder if you can talk about something or some things 
that you feel like are reflective of that? Well, I mean, I, as with some crises, as with most crises, you, you see the, the best being brought out of people. And then, of course, sometimes the worst. I'll focus on the best because that's kind of what you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. So um, early on, there was a number of folks, uh, I was part of that group, that kind of came together to figure out resources for Flint until the state finally, you know, uh, fully acknowledged what was going on. And that group of folks, we stayed together. Well, we're still continuing to work and do great work together, um, you know, important work together. And it was an unusual group of people. And it was folks in different industries. It was folks in the business community and in, in the medical community. Of course, Dr. Mona and others, uh, people from the United Way um, and different folks in, in government basically said, we're going to solve, we're going to help you try to solve problems for people one at a time. We can't, we can't solve this whole thing and we can't solve it all at once for sure, but we can do things together. And then there became a sense of, you know, I mean, there are a lot of people that are angry. There are a lot of folks that are, are um, going to keep fighting, and they should. And I'm one of those people too. I'm kind of doing both. Right? I'm going to keep fighting for more justice, but also doing the day-to-day work to try to improve things. Uh, we've gotten a number of state-of-the-art um, or the childhood centers, and they're, they're working together. We've got a lot of uh, we've got a lot of folks in the health community uh, working together. We've got the Flint Registry that will help um, you know work with families until they're until they're no longer children, until they're no longer adolescents. Uh, all these things coming together, and in a sense of you know of, of community. A lot of times, people get broken apart during a crisis. You know, they find a they find an issue, and it, it, it drives a wedge in them. We actually did the opposite for the most part. Um, you know, we still have political fights like everybody else does, and that things happen. But like when it comes to the day to day work, you've seen people that have never worked together, mm-hmm. not because they didn't they didn't want to or didn't it just just never did working together um, to to make. Uh, positive, both short and long-term change. And then we also saw some of the inequities in our system and where we can fix it. Uh, it's going to take a while to do that, but, you know, um, you know, our health department was drastically underfunded. Um, and, you know, they're improving, but we still have a ways to go. You know, we're starting to see how we can do things, uh, you know, better and smarter. So I think, you know, I, as Dr. Mona says, people are flying and the kids are going to be fine. It just, you just can't, you just can't abandon them. You have to do. You have to do the work and make mm-hmm. sure that they get all the services they need. But they're going to be fine. They're strong, and some people are strong. So I'm not concerned about uh, us and, 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 the, and the residents of Flint. It's just uh, we have some work to do, and we've got the team of people. And a lot of these folks are are adding to it. You're seeing more citizens coming forward and being a part of things, whether they're on a committee or a, you know just doing something for their neighbor. It's really, uh, it's really you know, there's been a lot of positives come out of it, and then. Mm-hmm. And some of the businesses that were started, uh, not because of the water, but because of some of the resources that, that became available. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a real resilient community, and I think it shows right now. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not planning on going anywhere. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to leave office in a couple of years, but I'm not planning on leaving here. So we'll keep working on it. Whether, you know, whatever, whatever hat I'm wearing, I'm going to keep doing the best I can to try to make, you know, improvements. Yeah. Okay, Jim Ananick. State Senate Minority Leader, a Democrat from Flint, who represents Michigan's 27th State Senate District. Always great to catch up with you. Thank you very much yeah, for being with us. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when I come back, we are going to speak.
This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I am Stephen Henderson. As always, I'm glad you have joined us. We are talking this hour about the city of Flint, the people of the city of Flint, and the settlement they have reached with the state of Michigan over that city's water crisis, which, of course, was caused by state officials who were trying to save money and switched the water source from Detroit's water system to the Flint River and failed to add chemicals to that water to prevent leaching of lead from the city's old lead pipes. We just heard from State Senator Jim Ananick, who lives in the city of Flint and represents that city and the state legislature. Uh, We talked to him about what the dimensions of this settlement are and what they will mean for the city of Flint. We're going to spend the rest of the hour talking to other folks who live in the city of Flint, who endured the crisis and who are going to be the beneficiaries of this settlement. In a little bit, we'll talk with Melissa Mays, who is a very familiar face and name now from the city of Flint. She's a mother of three and an activist and the founder of What Are You Fighting For? We have talked to her before here on Detroit Today, and we're hoping that she will be able to join us a little later in the program. But right now, I would like to welcome another Flint resident to the conversation. Timothy Abdul-Mateen is a Flint resident and co-founder and outreach director for a nonprofit called MADE, and that stands for Money, Attitude, Direction, and Education Institute that works with returning citizens. Timothy Abdul-Mateen, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's talk about your reaction to this settlement, this $600 million that the state will spend to help Flint recover from the water crisis. Uh, what do you think of that? My, my first reaction was I was surprised at um, the settlement and the amount. I mean, personally, I, I don't think it's enough for Flint residents hmm. for for all of what they endured. So I was just surprised at, at the amount and, you know, what it entails. Um, so what would justice look like to you? I mean, to me, justice would look like fully, you know, restoring, you know, uh, us back to, to a level where we are sustainable, right? Our, our water supply right now, I mean, we get, we get, we get water from GLEWA, mm-hmm. uh, Great Lakes Water Authority, right? But, to my knowledge, I don't even know if all the lead service lines have been replaced. I think there's still some work to be done. I think, um, you know, from that from that aspect, we definitely that's just making sure that the whole infrastructure is replaced and adequate, right? Mm-hmm. Then we got to look at it from accountability. I mean, if there's no accountability, there's no justice. The individuals who, you know, made the decision to um, to ch- switch our water source and was in charge of this, they they evaded they evaded charges. I mean, to me, that's just that that's what justice would look like to me. Get restoring the balance. Like, mm-hmm. where's the balance? Because this is just showing us that you know when you are um, in a certain position, you can make decisions that affect masses of people and get away with it with giving a you know with with the state giving a little money to to, mm-hmm. to the citizens. 
Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk a little, Timothy, about your life in Flint, which has been very interesting. You've had a lot of experiences that uh, that I want to share with our listeners. But, but I, I want to talk specifically about what you see as the effects first of the water crisis on your community, on your neighborhood, on your family. Walk us through what it has been like since the state first switched that that water source and and lead leached into the water. Man, it's been heart-wrenching, man. I mean, from the first, when they first announced the switch, uh, I already knew it was going to be a bad idea. I had been attending city council meetings, me and a, a group of individuals, you know, activists. We have already been attending city council meetings, and we already thought, like, man, that, is, that isn't a good idea. Hmm. So, and, and once it became known that the switch had taken place, uh, a, a lot of uh, the citizens really didn't know the, you know, the, the, you know, what the repercussions or what it would be. They didn't really know. It wasn't until it was made public, you know, and people start seeing, you know, rashes in their skin and, you know, other side effects that they start really realizing, like, hold on, we drinking, you know, contaminated water. And for my family, they, you know, we was in a in a in a, in a state of of utter shock like man i can't believe individuals will make a decision to switch us to a water source and not properly treat the water how did you not cope the pipes would it, it wouldn't even cost you that much money per day to mm-hmm. coat the pipes like you're supposed to coat them but you did you failed to do that and now we all have to suffer and we the thing about lead is once it enters your your bloodstream and it after so long, I, I believe it, it, be, it, it gets it gets into your bone system. It's mm-hmm. a neurological toxin. Like you, we really can't. I don't know. Even think they can really measure, you know, you know what you know the results of of the lead in, in, in a lot of these people's system. So the emotional man. I mean, just thinking about everywhere you go, you're thinking of, and you you want to get a glass of water. You're not going to get a glass. You're going to get a bottle of water. Mm. And once you drink that bottle of water, the first thing you're going to think about is, man, back home, I can't even I can't even use my water. I can't even use my water. Taking a shower, you're nervous when you take a shower. You know, you might need a water softener or, or anything like that. But, once you know, if you got hard water, it hits your skin, you get the itching. In the back of your mind, you're thinking, man, am I, am I being exposed to something? And that's not even talking about the Legionella. So... I mean, it was, it's just so many emotions Flint resident have been living with. And one of the main things is not being able to trust those in the leadership position. And I think this, this plays on that even more. Yeah. Like, who do we trust to be in these leadership positions that we elected? Mm-hmm. So it's been hard, man. I'm talking with Timothy Abdul-Mateen, a Flint resident and co-founder and outreach director for a nonprofit called Made Institute there in the city of Flint. We're talking about this settlement that the state has reached with the people of Flint. $600 million is the number that they have come up with to try to deal with the lasting damage, the public health effects, the educational effects of having switched that city's water source and not done enough to make sure that the Flint River didn't cause leaching of lead in the city's lead pipes. 
Uh, we want to hear from you this hour as well. Give us a call and tell us what your reaction is to this $600 million settlement between the state and Flint residents. What do you think justice should look like for the people of Flint? Do you think that $600 million is enough? Do you think there should be criminal prosecutions of some of the people who were involved, some of the public officials who made these decisions? Uh, and uh, what else do you think should be on the table? How do we fix what went wrong in the city of Flint if this $600 million is not the complete answer? As always, here, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, we'd also love to hear from from people who think that uh, this $600 million will do a lot in the city of Flint. If you think that uh, there are a lot of things that can be accomplished with that kind of payment, let uh, call and let us know as well. Uh, uh, Timothy, I, I want to talk about a little more about your life there in the city of Flint. You said you were a victim of the school-to-prison pipeline. Tell us a little about your background story and about the work that brought you to the MAID Institute, which uh, now is working with returning citizens. Yes. Yeah, so um, for me, um, I grew up northwest side of Flint, um, federally historic neighborhoods, Carl Civic Park. Um, and my first experience with the school to prison pipeline is when I attended Longfellow Middle School in seventh grade. From the middle of the first grade to the sixth grade, I had attended a private school called St. John Vianney on Chevrolet Street, mm -hmm. west west side of Flint. So in seventh grade, when I begged my mother to uh, put me in a Flint public school so I can be, you know, around more of my friends during school hours, you know, the, the individuals I grew up with, she, she gave me the chance. She said, oh, okay, I will do that. So my first day of seventh grade, I'll never forget this, man. I go to the school, and before I walk in, I was stopped by a liaison officer. At the time, I didn't even know what the heck that was. I'm like, wow, who is this guy with this, you know, Flint police coat telling me to stop? I can't go in. Mm. So... That was the first, you know, flag for me. But at, at the time, I didn't know this. So he said, wait, boom, boom. I goes in. I goes through one metal detector. They have the metal detector with the wand. I goes past that. I'm like, wow. Then I have to go walk through a metal detector. As I walk through the metal detector, I'm seeing cameras. I'm seeing all these hall monitors. And I'm like, man, what is this? I really felt like a criminal. You know, looking back now, it's like they were socializing us to become what they thought we were, right? Walking walking from middle school, walking home from school, we would get followed by police. Hmm. Liaison officers, they would follow us. They would monitor us because of suspicious, you know, drug, drugs and, and gang activity. And for me, I was like, I'm not, I'm not a part. I'm not in a gang. I don't sell drugs at this time. So I'm like, what is this? And when that happens to you, you know, for so long, you, you start to believe that yourself. You start to second, second guess yourself. Like, am I really a criminal? Is this all we going to be? 
Like, uh, these are our limitations. And that's just one part of it. And then from an education standpoint, I really don't recall learning too much in middle or high school because I really felt like our teachers had to deal with, the educators had to deal with so much, and our administrators really didn't know how to deal with what was going on from a social aspect from the school. Mm. I mean, and I, I really feel like I have teachers, man, where you can just buy a piece of candy and they will pass you. Mm. So the investment in us, nobody, we really felt like nobody believed in us. We didn't say that then, we just acted out because we didn't know how to express that. But looking back now, it was like nobody invested in us and our strengths. They didn't even know what our strengths or our weaknesses was. They just went through their day and passed us if they had to pass us, you know, went through the regular testing, whatever we did, and and that was that. And they didn't educate us properly. That is how I feel about that. And I feel like that opened the door. You know, that's the the, the back door of the school is the front door of the prison. Mm. So it leads you down the path where when by the time I got to high school, Flint Northern High School, I did, uh, after my 10th grade year, um, I really felt like no one cared about me. No one cared about my future. And what I was seeing in my neighborhood was so overwhelming. I ended up succumbing to some of the, you know, individuals' lifestyle in my neighborhood. Mm. I started running the streets because I felt more love in the streets than I did at school. Wow. You know, my home was stable. I did. My mom was there. But, I, you know, by this time, I lost my grandparents, my father. He was in the military, so he stayed out of state. Um, my role models were my uncles who had been in prison, and they only can teach me what they knew how to do to survive. And, you know, just looking back, I just really feel like from an education standpoint, that should be an extension of a family for children going to school. And if we don't invest in them, if we don't make them feel like we care about them, it's going to lead them down a path of destruction. And I understand now that structurally is designed that way because mm -hmm. from that experience, for me, from that public school experience and measuring that until my private school experience, it was two different atmospheres. When I went to private school, I still got friends to today that I talked to from my private school. And it was a different type of experience. So I've seen the difference. I lived the, the difference. And I really feel like the school to prison pipeline needs to be abolished. It's, it's like it's like a um, untalked about animal that's constantly growing. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people don't see it; they don't understand it because they didn't live it. But it's constantly growing, and you know, eventually I became incarcerated through, due to my lifestyle. I did nine years in the Michigan Department of Corrections. I was released in 2010, and upon my release, me and a, a, my co-founder Leon L. Elamie, he's the executive director of Made Institute. We decided we wanted to make a difference, you know, in our community, mm -hmm. and, and we we created the May Institute to give individuals like ourselves an opportunity to be productive members of society. And and just listening to you talk about your experience growing up in Flint and all of the things that led you to 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 where you are, I mean. We've said this before on this program, and and we've said this before in, in discussions about the Flint water crisis. But it really was just adding insult to injury for for yeah. for people like you. I mean, uh, the, the the idea that the water 
was poisoned in a city where lack of opportunity, where mm-hmm. the the disinvestment in infrastructure and, and people mm-hmm. was so profound, uh, the idea that you'd had this water crisis there only sunk everything lower. It only made things harder. And, and it's, I, I'm really glad that, that you uh, laid that out as, as detail, in as detailed a way as you did, because I think there are a lot of people who don't quite understand what, hap- right. what was happening in Flint before this that made this right. water crisis so awful uh, for people to right. have to live through. Yeah, and I think the water crisis is this, it just shined a light on everything else we've been going through. I mean, I'm quite sure, as you guys seen, when when uh, our former mayor, uh, Dr. Karen Weaver, when she declared a state of emergency, and I mean, people started paying attention, money started coming in, and people really started looking at our infrastructure and our institutions and saying, whoa, we got to do something about this. And you have foundations dedicating money for social justice issues, mm-hmm. educational issues. Roof Mont, they have a, a five-year plan to invest in North Flint because they understand the water crisis shining light on that. We have been neglected on this side of town in so many different areas. And then you add a uh, health crisis like the, the the water crisis on top of it, man. You it's a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like the six hundred million, to me, some people would say it's a good thing, you know. But how they, from what I read, seventy nine and a half percent is going to go towards minor children, mm-hmm. and si- and sixty four and a half percent is for ages six and under, right? Ten percent mm-hmm. for ages seven to eleven, five percent for ages twelve to seventeen adults and property damage settlement. I would love to see how that's going to go. They say 18% is allocated for that. Uh, 15% of that is for adults and 3% for property damage. Then you have the business economic loss settlement and programmatic relief settlement at 2%. So to see how those um, funds will be devied out is going to be interesting. But to me, it doesn't restore the balance. It's not justice because the individuals who neglectfully made the decision to switch us over, knowingly that you know, Flint River water wasn't adequate enough and knowing that, you know, ignoring that scientists told them you have to treat these lead pipes, they, you know, with, mm-hmm. with this corrosive material, knowing these things and failed to, neg- failed to do that and neglecting the people, I feel like they got off with a slap on the wrist. And, I mean, to be honest, we've we seen it so many times in our country where, you know, money, you know, they feel like money is the fix to everything. But what about the people who lost their lives? What about the children who are affected? What about the special education these, these kids are going are gonna to need? And I, I've seen something about that. They have some allocated for special education needs. And when people don't understand the Flint Community Schools is in a lawsuit right now with Genesee of a GISD, the intermediary school district, on the way they – uh, devil out the funds for a special education needs. So I'm just looking at this thing from a holistic standpoint, and I'm I really I, I feel bad for my people, but I am kind of excited that some people will get something. But it, it's it's not enough when the people who caused this this disaster is gotten away scot free. Yeah. Okay, Timothy Abdul Mateen. I'm really glad you were able to join us for Detroit Today and share your story. 
about growing up in the city of Flint and what's going on there now. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate you for having me. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about the settlement over the Flint water crisis. We're going to hear from one of the lawyers who represents the plaintiffs in that class lawsuit. We also want to continue to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us what you think of this $600 million settlement for the Flint water crisis. Is it enough? Is it justice? And if not, what would be? We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Regular listeners to WDET may notice we've been talking a lot about recruiting new members. A lot. Well, it's working, and we are grateful. I'm Mary Zatina, General Manager of WDET. I want to welcome the 575 new members who have joined for the first time this summer and welcome back to 700 long-lapsed members who hadn't sent a contribution in well over a year. We still have a big budget gap to close, but to all of our members, new and long time, please know that we are working hard to recruit others to help you keep this station strong. Now is the time to support WDET. Give online at WDET.org. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks very much for tuning in. We're talking this hour about the settlement between the state of Michigan and the people of Flint over that city's water crisis, which was, of course, caused by public officials who were trying to save money and switched the water source from the Detroit water system to the Flint River, which was known to have chemicals in it that would cause degradation of the lead pipes that fed people's houses in Flint. They did not add chemicals that would have stopped that degradation, and as a result, the entire city was exposed to poisonous water for a very long time. Uh, joining us now to talk a little more about this settlement and what it will accomplish is someone who is very familiar with uh, this issue and has worked for a long time to try to get justice for the people of Flint. Julie Hurowitz is one of the lawyers who represents the plaintiffs in a class action lawsuit against the state. Julie, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. All right. So let's start with your reaction to this settlement. Uh, we were just talking with Timothy Abdul-Mateen, a Flint resident and founder of a nonprofit there working with returning citizens. He doesn't think this $600 million is quite enough. Uh, what's your take on that number and why it was the number that uh, you were able to come together with the state over? Well, I don't disagree at all that $600 million is not sufficient to fully compensate this community for what happened to them. At the same time, it is a tremendous victory with respect to the role that the state played in causing this disaster in Flint. Um, it is important to understand that this is only a partial settlement that $600 million uh, is, while everyone acknowledges, a lot of money, and also everyone recognizes that given the harm that was done, it will not fully compensate the victims of what happened. Um, 
the state of Michigan and and when I say the state, I'm talking about everyone from the emergency managers mm-hmm. who were appointed as dictators to control the decisions in the city of Flint, all the way up to the governor's office. Um, and everyone in between, the people within the regulatory agency, the MDEQ, and that agency played a horrific role in not only perpet- uh, allowing this public health emergency to go on, but they actively uh, contributed to it and lied yeah. to the community and the public and about didn't, And didn't fix it. Didn't fix it in, in a short period of time. I mean, really just they let it go on. They absolutely didn't fix it. In fact, they refused to fix it. Um, no one is denying the the significant role that everyone on behalf of the state of Michigan played in causing and perpetuating this horrific situation. Um, and also, I think it's important to understand that while the state is now stepping up and saying that they are doing the right thing here by offering this partial settlement, um, it's that for five years they fought vigorously to the tune of tens of millions of dollars of unnecessary legal expenses that we've had to front to pay for the defense that the state tried to continue to push. They um, Dozens of times they tried to have our claims dismissed. Dozens of times they brought decisions up to through the appellate process, going all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court um, and the Michigan Supreme Court. And every time they tried to have these claims dismissed, they lost. And we now have very good law in both the federal court and the state courts about the rights that people have under the U.S. and Michigan constitutions not to be poisoned by our government and not to be lied to. It's also true that we, there were others who were also responsible, mm. and those claims are continuing to go forward. Yeah. Uh, we've got some very substantial claims against two private engineering companies who were hired by the city of Flint to provide consultation about how to make the water safe. And they gave very dishonest advice to Flint. And uh, they knew that there was a serious problem with using Flint River water without corrosion control. Mm -hmm. And they neglected to even communicate that knowledge to Flint. Uh, because if they did, they would have lost their contracts and they would have lost money. So they just kept it to themselves and did not come forward with the information that Flint needed to know before putting this Flint River water through a water treatment plant that was ill-equipped to really handle it properly. And more equally um, significantly, we have a claim that we are continuing to actively pursue against the Environmental Protection Agency. The federal EPA was well aware by the beginning part of 2015 that there was a serious problem in the city of Flint by the absence of corrosion control. And that lead poisoning was created, was occurring, and, or, and a public health emergency was 
going on. And rather than intervene and take action that they not only had the authority to do, but the legal obligation to do once it became clear that the state regulatory agency was lying to the public and lying to them and not doing their job, the EPA had a legal obligation to intervene and they simply did not do it. And they didn't do it with the knowledge that their failure to do it was going to perpetuate this yeah. disaster. Yeah, yeah. So Again. this is not over. Right, and, right. I think that's uh, an important, 600- yeah, the idea that it's not over, that this is not the last word, I think, is a really important and important point to keep making here. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. So I want to get a couple of calls in here. Michael in Detroit. Michael, welcome to the show. Uh, Steve, yeah, thanks, thanks, Steve, for taking my call. Um, I've been paying a little attention to the whole Flint situation, and I did a little simple math. 600 million by 100,000 residents is about $6,000 per person, not including legal fees. Mm. Uh, and $6,000 to me is wellfully insufficient for what happened. And it only really only, uh, much like the, the coronavirus situation, it only really uh, brings out the disparity in people of color in in, uh, in, in way we are treated in, with environmental uh, uh, mistreatment. Uh, it, only, it only exacerbates the whole situation that much further. And uh, they should keep fighting. I don't know if the six hundred million includes the legal fees or not. Uh, attorney you had on the line, I'm sure she. Uh, they deserve what they're going to get, but certainly six hundred million is not enough. They need to make sure that their health care is taken care of uh, for some longer period of time. Complete health care, good health care, uh, uh, necessary medicines and prescriptions need to be handled. Uh, and to finish the job on the infrastructure. So I think $600 million, even though it's a lot of money, is not nearly enough to correct the injustices that were done to these yeah. people. Yeah, Michael, I think that's a really, it's a really great way to, uh, to, to think of it. Um, I think that th- you've got some uh, details wrong, though, in terms of the way the money will be distributed. So I want Julie Hurwitz to, to, to address that. Uh, could you talk about how this money will be divided? Certainly. Um, it's, there is going to be a fund set up through which anybody who believes they're entitled to compensation will have an equal right to file a claim. And there's going to be a claims process that is based on certain parameters and certain um, pieces of information that will be considered by the claims administrator who will be appointed by the court to oversee the process. And there are, we still at this point don't have all of those details specifically hammered out. And we have 45 days to be able to first get uh, final approval or not uh, from the class representatives and those who have the decision-making authority among the clients to agree to this settlement Hmm. amount to begin with, and then to work out the final details of how this process is going to go forward. We do know from the terms of the settlement, the vast majority of this money is going to be earmarked for kids, Hmm. uh, for people, for 
children 17 years older and younger. Um, and then the remaining amount, a certain percentage is going to set up a uh, special education program. Uh, and then the remaining amount will be left for the other claimants. So it, it, at this point, it's really impossible. People want to know how much people are going to get. And it's, it's at this moment impossible to, to answer that question until we have all of those mechanisms in place for people to start going through the process. And we know how many people are actually going to be filing claims. Yeah. Uh, we do not expect every single person in Flint to be filing a claim. So while it's, it's easy to say, okay, there's 100,000 people in Flint, there's $600 million, so everybody gets X amount of money. That's just not the way it's going to work. Yeah. Uh, the the amount the compensation scheme is going to be based on the actual harm that can be shown that individual people suffered when they go through the claims process. Yeah. Okay. Julie Horowitz, a uh, lawyer who's representing plaintiffs in the class action lawsuits against the city of Flint. It was really great that uh, you could join us today on Detroit Today. Thank you very much for being here. You're welcome. Hmm. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow, and we're going to talk about the role of the climate crisis in the 2020 election. We're going to talk with a group of environmental experts and advocates about the issues that they're thinking about heading into November. Also remember that on Thursday at 8 p.m., you can join us for another virtual WDET book club event. We're going to talk with Sandra Adele, professor of African-American studies at the University of Wisconsin-Madison about how Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison relates to the political and social movements we're seeing in 2020. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.